All right, we're going to continue our series this morning on the power of if. How many people have been here the last couple of weeks? How many people have found it beneficial? How many people didn't realize that if was such a powerful word? And uh, it's such a great thing. And, and so we've looked at a few of them, but this morning we're actually going to look at what if. And so we looked at the first week, we looked at um, if onlys, you know, turning our if only regrets into what if God wants to do this with us. Last week we looked at having as if faith, not a faith that's kind of like, oh, I hope so, I fingers crossed, you know, touch wood, God will come through for me, but understanding that we can have a faith in what Jesus says, a faith in his word that is an as is faith. You can live as if it's absolutely true and not doubt it in any way, shape, or form, but this morning I want to talk about what if, and what if to me is basically this, it's a bold prediction backed up by bold actions change the course of history. Bold predictions backed up by bold actions. Can we just take a little bit out of my mic, please? That'd be cool. Um, ends up with a change in history. For example, Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King, with his speech, I Have a Dream, was a bold prediction that one day my children will be able to... It was a bold prediction followed by bold actions which changed the course of history. And I also believe that when it comes to us, personally, when it comes to us and, and the things that happen in our lives and the changes that happen in our lives, it comes about by bold predictions and then bold actions which transform and change our lives. You know, every what if that we have in our world is actually created twice. Did you know that? Every what if is created twice. Every what if that has ever happened, anybody that's dreamed and gone, oh, what if we did this or what if we did that, every what if actually happens twice. It first happens in your dreams and then, it then happens in a physical manifestation of that dream. For example, a book is written twice, first in the head and the heart of the writer and then on the typewriter. It's written twice. Everything that ever happens, everything that's ever existed has actually happen, happens twice to come into existence. And it always starts with an idea in someone's mind. So I want you to understand this morning that when you drive home today, you're actually driving on somebody's dream. Somebody had a dream when it came to Pukekohe or the Franklin area that when we map out our roads, we're going to map them out this way. Now that person's dream may for us now, especially those that have to travel into the city for work, it's not really a dream, but feels like a nightmare. And you wonder what sort of pizza the guy was eating the night before that he invented this way to get into the city. But the reality is, is that every road you drive on has been dreamt by a town planner of where that road's going to go and where it's going to happen. So every dream or every what if actually happens twice first in the mind of somebody, and then physically, it outworks itself. You see, in Psalm 139, verse 13 to 16, God says this about you and I. It says, for you were created, uh, for you created my innermost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. It says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. 
all the days ordained to me, or all the days that I'll ever live for me, were written in your book before one of them had came to be. You started off, every single one of us started off as an idea in the mind of Almighty God. Every single one of us started off that way, and we started off first in God's mind, and then now you and I live as a physical manifestation of God's eternal plans and purposes. Did you know that? Well, let me put it simply for you. You are God's what if. God was in heaven, and he said, what if we create man in our own image? What if we create him in our likeness so that he can be just like us and he can rule and subdue the earth? What if you started off in the idea of God's brain, in the idea of God's mind, you started. He dreamt about you before you were even knitted together in your mother's womb. He planned every single day of your life out and all you are doing now is you're physically living out what it is that he had dreamed for you. Now, in saying that, some of us have taken control of our lives and made some decisions along the process, but I need you to understand this, is that you have been invented twice. You once in his mind, and now physically, you are a manifestation of his dream. You are his what if. Isn't that cool? That you are his what if. Can I get somebody excited this morning or we're all going to be dead in here? You are God's what if. And just like God created you, you're called to create. You're called to create what ifs in your world. You're called to create all those things. In the first five words of the Bible, God starts creating. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Right at the start, God is all about creating something. And then, basically, at the end of the Bible, he's still creating. Revelation 21 verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any seed. So basically, God is showing from the start to the end, I'm all about creating stuff. I'm all about making stuff. I'm all about creating things. And you and I represent God the most when we use our creative abilities to outwork His purposes in our world. Your words are not for communication. I say this time and time again. Your words are for creation. What you say happens. What you speak happens. And we you know, are most like Him when, our, when we exercise our creative impulses of what it is that we feel that God wants us to do, His purposes on earth. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather have a God idea than a thousand good ideas. Anyone can have a good idea. Good ideas are good, but, but it's God ideas that change the world. It's God ideas that change the world, that change the course of history. And the, and the reason why God idea changes the course of history is any God idea that you get doesn't originate with you but it originates with him. And so your idea becomes a divine what if, an almighty God what if. And in my experience, those divine what ifs are usually crazy. They're usually the most insane things, yes? Elijah on the mountaintop. Yeah, just pour a whole lot of water over the altar. Saturate it. Make sure that that wood is so wet that nothing could light it. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to call down fire from heaven. It's like, whoo, 
Okay, Elijah. Like, you didn't have to wet the wood. It still would have been a miracle just calling down fire from heaven. You didn't have to show off. But it's crazy. There's a story. I don't know if I shared this story with you, but there's a young man who was a Colombian, who lived in Colombia as a young boy, and his father was murdered by the Colombian cartel. And so him and his mum had to escape Colombia and go to America when he was 10 years of age. And at 10 years of age, he made a vow to God that one day he'd go back and change his nation. That young man at 21 years of age went back to Colombia trying to work out what am I going to do to help change this nation. And he, and he had learned all about horticulture while he was at school and studied a little bit at college. And he was still going through college at the time. But he went back and he started talking to these farmers that were making cocaine about what if we turn your farms into coffee farms rather than cocaine farms? What if we turn them into coffee farms and that way you've got a legit business and da-da-da. Anyway, this young man got some farmers on board, even though the cartel hated the idea and obviously wanted him killed and wanted the farmers killed. He came up with this brilliant company called Redeeming Grounds, which was all about not only grounds of coffee but redeeming the grounds of his country and there's there's video footage of him of of burning keys of cocaine as he turns fields that were cocaine farms into coffee farms and the cartels hate him because every single key he burns is worth about thirty or forty thousand dollars on the streets and he just laughs as he throws these coke keys into the fire, burns them all up, and starts planting coffee farms all over Colombia. Crazy idea. I don't know about you, but if I heard the cartel were after me, it'd be like, I tell you what, I'll help you from here with your coffee farm over there. But he doesn't. He leaves. He goes, knowing that they're looking for him, knowing that they're hunting, and he turns these coffee, these cocaine farms into coffee farms. Why? Because God gave him a God idea, a what-if moment. What if we could redeem the grounds of my nation by, by having coffee? See, once again, another reason why coffee is of God. You see, by definition, a God-sized dream is too big for you and I to pull off. It's way too big. If you, if, if you are dreaming things that you can do, you're dreaming too small. It begins with a Genesis moment and then this God idea is conceived in your spirit. And it's about taking those thoughts captive, those ideas, those God ideas captive and, and making sure that they're obedience to God. I mean, the, the only way I can kind of explain it to you is every week it takes me about 10 hours to put together a message, 10 hours of reading and writing and different stuff. But it's not just reading and writing. It's, to me, it's 10 hours of prayer. It's it's as I'm reading and as I'm writing, I'm praying and, and then I'm reading and I'm writing and I'm writing what it is that God's speaking to me. And, and I really believe that in those 10 hours as God speaks, as I start to type that out on the laptop, then it's a manifestation of what God's doing in my spirit because of what I've read and what I've written and what I've prayed about. And then God uses the keyboard and the 26 letters of the alphabet, alphabet to take it from an idea to a what if to take it from what was in my head and my heart and turns it into a manifestation of what if God, what if God wants to do, what is your what if in your world? What is your what if? What's that one God idea? And you you can tell if you had a God idea because you initially get excited about it and then you dismiss it. 
and you dismiss it because you think you can't do it. But it gets you excited when you first hear it. What is your God-sized dream? What is your passion? You know, to, to come at you with that and go, what's your God-sized dream? I don't know about, but if somebody even asked me that, I would be like, that's a little overwhelming, thank you very much. You're like, what's my God-sized dream? It's like, when you hear Ephesians 3.20, that he can do exceedingly abundantly more than I can ever ask or think of, and then whatever I think of is too small anyway. So how do I come up with a God-sized dream? You're with me this morning? So that seems a little bit overwhelming, so I want to break it down for you a little bit, and I want to show you something. You don't have to be the Prime Minister of New Zealand or influence a million people to change a world. You might be the one, though, that influences the one person that changes the world. You see, there's a young boy who was in South Korea who was dying of leukemia. His name was Paul Yongi Cho. He was a Buddhist at about 19 years of age, dying of leukemia. And his nurse, that nobody remembers her name, nobody can tell you her name, not even he can tell you her name, she was a Christian and she would come in while he was sleeping and pray for him every single day. Well, eventually God answered her prayers and healed Paul Yongi Cho at 10 years of age and then God visited him in a dream and God spoke to him in a dream and he turned from a Buddhist into a Christian and now Paul Yongi Cho pastors the largest church in the world of just over one million people in South Korea. You see, nobody remembers the nurse's name, but the nurse influenced the one that met the million. You see, what if your what if is a who if? What if your what if in your world is a who if? It might be the students you're teaching. I know that's hard to believe because you want to kill half of them. It could be the kids that you're raising. You could be raising the next Billy Graham for all we know, or the next Yongi Cho for all we know, or it might be the kids that you're coaching in the soccer team or the rugby team or the league team or the hockey team or the netball team. Not that anybody cares about netball. It, your what if could be a who if. Who is it that God's calling you to speak to? You see, my legacy for my life is not what happens in this church. And it's not about how many books I write if I ever get around to writing a book. You see, I want to be famous in my home. I want to be, I want my lasting legacy to be in my home. I want my what if to be in my family. That when I'm gone, that it continues on. There's this Greek mathematician called, I'm going to get this right, wrong. I've been practicing. You'd be proud of me, Amanda. I've been practicing this, but I'm going to get it wrong. Archimedes? of Sarasus once said this oh, that's probably wrong but it worked give me a place to stand and I'll move the earth give me a place to stand and I'll move the earth this statement became known as the law of the lever and what he really means is the law of the lever says this that a lever amplifies input force to provide greater output source, the longer the lever, the greater the leverage. Let me show you 
with my homemade seesaw. I need a volunteer, hopefully one that's not too heavy. Um, come on then, Phil. I've got to choose Phil because I don't, I don't have a form to say that if you injure yourself or whatever, we're not liable, but can we just have a verbal okay? Yeah, okay. All right, that's awesome. So if Phil sits here on the end of, this, of the seesaw and I sit here on this end of the seesaw, it worked. I can't leverage him because my leverage is not very long. All right? Are you with me this morning? But if I shift the seesaw a little bit this direction and Phil sits down again and then I sit down and hopefully we don't break the seat. <laughs> all of a sudden the leverage, because I have a longer leverage, it's allowing me to leverage him a little bit more. So if we bring it a little bit more this way, Phil, and you sit down, and I just push. I now have leverage over him. And what happens, stay there for a minute, Phil. Uh, I'll try not to dump you. <laughs> we'll go back that way a little bit. Okay, you can sit down. See, so often we think that we can't do something for God because sometimes our leverage is in the wrong Point. And so what we have here is we have, we have our insecurities. Sorry. Yes. We have our insecurities. We have our mistakes. We have our failures. We have all the, the dreams that we've tried to fulfill but didn't happen. And so we look at that and we go, there is no way I could ever do that God idea because, because you don't understand I got all this stuff and, and, and I, just can't, I just can't leverage it. I, I just, this, this stuff is so weighing me down that there's no way that I could ever do anything that God wants me to do. But what you have to understand is that God always provides a high leverage point. And so stay there for a sec, Phil. And what that means is, is that any system where something is called the high leverage point, it is placed in a system structure where a small amount of change can cause a large change in the system's behavior. And you and I, we have a high leverage point. If we can just move this a little bit closer so that I can easily push you up, that'd be great. We have a high leverage point, and it's Romans 8.31, where it says, if my God is for me, then who can be against me? And so when I get a God idea, which feels like the world is overwhelming and I can't do it, I understand something. See, it doesn't matter about my insecurities. It doesn't matter about my past failures. It doesn't even matter what my teacher has said to me. It doesn't even matter what my intelligence is. It doesn't even matter whether I went to university or not. When God asks me to do something, he doesn't ask me to do it without a high leverage point. And Romans 8.31 says, if God is for me, then what can be against me? If God is my high leverage point, thank you, Phil, I'll try not to dump you. If God is my high leverage point, then nothing, no insecurity, no faults, no failures, no bad education, no whatever it is, no lack of finances can get in the way because my high leverage point is if God is for me, then who can be against me? And the great thing about that scripture, it is pregnant with possibilities of what God can do for us. Because if God is for you, then it doesn't matter what comes against you, yes? Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon forged against you shall prevail, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication 
from me, declares the Lord. 1 John 4, 4 says, you dear children, you are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why? Because you have a high leverage point and that high leverage point is called Jesus. And if God is for you, then who can be against you? And Oswald Sanders, who was a preacher from the 1800s, created a word that you won't find in the dictionary. He created this word, he said, unconquerableness. The pa- no power on earth or in hell can conquer the Spirit of God in a human spirit. It is the inner unconquerableness. It may not spell, it may not pass spell check on your computer, but it pass a what if check. Because God is our high leverage point. And too many of you have given up on your God ideas because you think you don't have leverage to do the things that He's called you to do. Romans 8, 11 says this, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. And friend, when you understand that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, when you understand that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives and abides in you, when you understand that you have a higher leverage point of if God is for me, then who can be against me? Now you have a tipping point when the momentum shifts in your world. And the tipping point for us is not just when Jesus comes into our lives as our Lord and Savior, but our tipping point and our journey with Christ is always if God is for us. You see, there's a tipping point in my life when I gave my life to Jesus Christ and I was transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, but now that I'm in the kingdom of light and on a journey with God, my tipping point, my momentum change is when I stop the negative thoughts, I stop the the thoughts that says that that this can't happen. I stop the thoughts which treats God's promises like they're a hopeful touch wood. Hopefully they come through. And I stand for a moment. I go, hold on a sec. The tipping point right here needs to be if God is for me. If God is for me, then who can be against me? Who can be against me? It puts all the momentum into the God dream. And if God is for us, then who can stop us? It's a game changer because the enemy thought he had a high leverage point when he nailed Jesus to the cross. The only thing that he didn't realize is that that was Jesus' high leverage point because he took all the sin of the world upon himself and then he leveraged his righteousness for our salvation and defeated the enemy. And it says that he went down to hell and made a public spectacle of him. I want to tell you, man, we are not on the losing side. It's a game changer. And the high leverage point gives us a holy confidence, but a humble boldness that if God is for me, then who can be against me? Joshua put it this way. Jesus said this to Joshua. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, 3, he said, I will give you every place you set your foot. 
I will give you every place you said. What was that? That's Joshua's high leverage point. It doesn't, doesn't matter how big the walls of Jericho are as we're walking around him. You, your high leverage point is every place I, I, I put my foot, you're going to give to me. It's the high leverage point. It's the promise. He's saying, if I'm for you, then nothing can be against you. Joshua goes into the promised land and he takes control of, of the promised land. He walks into it. It's funny that the first miracle had nothing to do with their ability to fight and everything to do with their ability to praise because it was with a shout of praise that the walls came down. See, so you got to understand something. The high leverage point, if God is for me, then who can be against me? Is, is not a fight point, it's a praise point. And see, when you praise God in the midst of your situations, He comes and builds a house, His home, in the middle of those things. In Matthew 18, 18, it says, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Do you know that you can put a spiritual contract on things before they even happen in the natural? That happened with our first house. Trini used to make me drive past it because I didn't have the faith for it. She'd make me drive past it every single day. And every single day, Trini would drive past and think, thank you, God, that that's our house, that nobody else is going to buy it. And I'm like, that's just not fair to anybody else that likes the house. It's not very fair. And she would bind that house. And then she says to me one day, we need to go and see if we can buy the house. And I'm saying, oh, honey, we've only just started saving towards a house. We're only about 23 or 20, oh, I don't know how old we were at the time. We were fairly young in our marriage. And, um, and, and I said, she goes, oh, well, I found out how much they want for it. They want 150000 Oh, God, could the house prices please be that again? Um, 150000 And I said, honey, um, you need 10% deposit to buy a house, not 1%. I think we should make an appointment to see the own. And I'm not, I'm not going to embarrass myself by sitting down with a real estate agent and going, do you, so do you have 15,000? No, I've got 1,500. I'm, I'm not having that conversation. I'm not going to walk out of that office feeling like an idiot. We're not, I'm not doing that. She's, but I've been praying, and, and I've made an, and I think she made the appointment from memory. Yes, she made me go. And I was sitting there with the guy, and he goes, how much deposit do you have? <laughs> how much? <coughs> 1,500. <coughs> And I finally told him the truth, 1500 And he goes to me, oh, I think we can make that work. And then I'm thinking, just typical real estate agent, you know. No, I'm sorry, no offense to any real estate agents. <laughs> Not real estate agents in this church. And he goes, no, no, I think, I think we can make that work. I'll get back to you in 24 hours. And I'm just like, this just ain't gonna happen. And he comes back in 24 hours, he goes, Oh, well, the banks won't do it, but the guy who owns the property, he's going to give you a personal mortgage. And it's at the same rate as what the banks would give, and he'll take 1500 deposit. And not only that, he's going to give you three months free so you can buy curtains and that for the house. Why? Because she put a spiritual contract on the place. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loose in heaven. Why? Because she understood that she had a high leverage point 
a high leverage point. Oh, you don't understand, you can't buy a house on 1% deposit. We have a high leverage point. If God is for me, then who can be against me? Are you with me this morning? You see, it was the promised land that he promised Joshua, and Joshua got the land. Psalm 50 verse 10 says, For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. And I used to always say, God, things like, you know, God, you own a cattle on a thousand hills. Could you just kill a couple of them for me and so that I can, you know, get ahead? And then I felt like God said to me, so why would you ask for the cattle on a thousand hills? Why don't you ask for the hills as well? You see, he doesn't just own the cattle. He owns the hills. He owns everything. Everything is his. It doesn't just own the cattle, but he owns all the hills as well. And your what if may feel like it's a million miles away. But I want to declare to you this morning that if God has given you a God idea and you understand that you have the high leverage point, and I'm not saying to go and make crazy, stupid decisions. If you're thinking about starting a business or whatever, I know there are people in the church that are incredibly clever entrepreneurs and business people that will help you. You still need quality advice, but don't let your, your insecurities don't let your doubts or your past failures stop you. Let God's word, God's idea, let that if God is for me, then what can be, use your high leverage point. And it may start off small, but Zechariah 14 says, who dares despise the day of small beginnings? Don't, don't despise the small stuff. I, I think the small stuff is so important I think if you treat the little things like they are big things, and one day will God will give you the big things like they're little things. I truly believe that if you would treat the little stuff, if you'd be a really good servant in the little and treat the little well, then one day you will be given the big as if it's something little. Why? Because my Bible says in Luke 16, 10, if you're faithful in the little things, then you'll be faithful in the large things. And the whole thing about that is, is God is looking to see if you'll be faithful in the small stuff because if you can be faithful in the small stuff, then he knows you can be faithful in the big stuff. And all of a sudden, your small beginnings, you start to have a leverage point again. And the big stuff just becomes small stuff because God can trust you. You just got to keep doing what's in front of you, knowing that he has ordered your footsteps. Well, I don't know what the next 10 years look like. Never do I, but I know what I can do next week. And I know what I can do the week after and the week after that. And I know what it is that God's saying to me. And I know some of the things that I need to put into my world. I know I need to pray. I know I need to read my Bible. I know I need to be in church. I know I need, I know I, I, those things I know. I can do those things. And if I will do those things, then he'll order your steps. If I can be faithful in the little things, then God will give me the big things. Because his what if is you. You're his what if. You're the reason why he hasn't come yet because he believes you and I can save the world. Not that we save people, you know what I mean. He wants us to do it. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Once again, he dreamed your God idea for you before you even lived a day of your life. And all he is saying is that I've dreamt it, I just now need you to live it. I need you to have what if faith. Philippians 1.6 says this, being confident of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. You gotta understand that God has blessings for you in categories you don't even know exist. And just when you think he has done something big for you, he does something even bigger for you. You gotta understand God is for you. Get this into your head, God is for you. God is for you. God is for you. Well, I don't feel like he's for me right now because some bad things are going on. Yeah, yeah, but he is for you and all things work together for good. He is for you. You've got to carry on that, that high leverage point. Otherwise, what happens is that the failures or the disappointments or the disillusionments start to weigh down the side of your seesaw. It starts to stop the leverage point from happening. And then all of a sudden, it's like, if God is for us, it's like, oh, I hope he's for us. Doesn't feel like he's for us. It feels like he's abandoned us. God hasn't abandoned you, God is for you. If you would take that into every phase of your world, every phase of your life, if you take that into your troubles and into the, the stuff that you're struggling with and just go on with this thought of, if God is for me, then who or what can be against me? Because you've got to understand that He is for you in such a way that he proved it when he sent his son to die on the cross. He didn't leave you in your sin. He saved you from it. It's what he does. It's who he is. He is for you. He is for you. You have a high leverage point in your life that out leverages every other thing. And as I said earlier in the service, Ephesians 3.20 is another high leverage point. For my God can do exceedingly abundantly more than I could ever ask, think, or imagine. According to what? According to His power that's at work within us. You see, when you have resurrection power on the inside of you, then there's no such thing as death. When you're living in resurrection power, death no longer has a hold. The God dreams can't die, they only thrive in resurrection power. God dreams thrive when there's a voice that says, if God is for me, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. That I can live as if faith in my what if dreams. Because they're not what if, I hope so. They're like, what if, as in, it's gonna happen. Because his promise still stands. And his promise is the high leverage point in our lives. And if you get nothing out of this whole entire series, we wind it up next week. If you get nothing out, out of this four weeks, get this. Put this into your brain. Burn it into your skull. Romans 8.31, if God is for us. If God is for us. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning? If God is for us. Why don't you close your eyes just for a moment? 
Every single person of God is for us. I want you to start thinking about your lives right now. I want you to start thinking about maybe your, where your kids are. I want you to start thinking about maybe the way your marriage is right now. I want you to start thinking about maybe how your finances are right now. Those things that you're worrying about, those things that you are staying awake at night about, those things that are consuming your thought processes. Just as you close your eyes for a moment, I'm going to ask that the Holy Spirit would come and breathe His what-ifs. And, and I want you to ask yourself this question as you think of all those things. If God is for me, if God is for us, then what's the truth about that situation? What's the truth about my unsaved kids? What's the truth about my damaged marriage? What's the truth about my financial struggle now? If God is for me, if that's my high leverage point, that God is for me, then what's the truth? then what's the truth in your home? What's the truth? It may not be manifesting itself right now, but what is the truth? If God is for you, if God is for you, and if God hears your prayers, and God hears the cries of our heart, and if His Word says you and your whole household shall be, shall be saved, no matter what your kids have done this week, if God is for me, what's the truth? I want to challenge you just for a moment. You hear this morning and you're like, man, if God is for me, if God is for me, if that's true, then I know that His promise still stands. I think one of the greatest things you can do sometimes is sometimes you can pray for one another and that's conversation, but I think sometimes we need to pray a declaration. Sometimes prayer needs to be a declaration that if God is for me, then His promise still stands. Great is His faithfulness. He's never failed me yet. And the thing that I hate is they got yet on the end of that. When they get ready, He never fails. It's not yet. He's not going to fail you tomorrow. He's not going to fail you next week. He's not going to fail you for the rest. He just does not fail. God never fails. It's not a yet. He just doesn't fail. 
But some of you need to make a declaration this morning that says to your spirit, if God is for me, then His promise still stands. And some of you got some thoughts going through your head of like, can I really believe that? Can I really stand on that? Can that really be? Can my marriage really be that? Can my finances really be that? Can my kids really come back to Christ? Or that, you know, this morning we need to make a declaration. And sometimes the best way to make a declaration is not to stay where you are and declare it in your current situation, but to step out and declare it as in like a new day and a new moment. And as I step out of my seat, what I'm really declaring is that I'm stepping into if God is for me, then what can be against me? I'm stepping into no what weapon formed against me shall prosper. I'm stepping into the God that started a good thing in me. It's going to see it through to completion because His promise still stands and great is His faithfulness.